Well, good evening, guys. How are you all? Oh, you can do better than that. Come on, I just got off the freeway, an hour and 15-minute drive from Chino to here. I live in Chino. Church is in Upland, but there was an accident. So I'm, I'm pooped. But how are you guys doing? You guys doing okay? All right, good, good. Oh, man, I hate it when I get that freeway stuff. I mean, it's like it really challenges your faith, doesn't it? I mean, it's like, oh. And I don't remember praying for patience recently, but God is using it for that, I'm sure. Good to be with you guys. Um, Would you guys open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians chapter 3. It's always a blessing to be here with you guys, and uh, I, I just enjoy uh, being here with you. I enjoy uh, uh, the leadership here, uh, uh, Pastor Xavier and the other guys. I, you may or may not know I'm, a, I'm on the uh, board of directors with them as an outside pastor and meet with them occasionally and just enjoy the time with them and just love them, love you guys, and always a blessing to be here. And prayerfully, the Lord is going to speak to our hearts tonight. I, I'm convinced that he will because this passage we're going to be looking at is an incredibly powerful one. You know, right now we're going through the book of Ephesians on Sunday morning in our church. And um, for me, and I know it's the case for many, many other pastors as well, as I've talked to, to guys, whatever book it is that we're studying at the time, that's our favorite book in the Bible. Whatever we're going, because there's just so many rich nuggets that come through, but Ephesians is one of those that always is a favorite of so many, so many things here. And at the end of the book of, uh, at the end of the third chapter here in Ephesians, we see an incredible prayer prayed by the Apostle Paul. And I want to take a look at that, but it's specifically at the very last two verses we're going to look at. But I wanted to read with you this morning, or this evening, I should say. It says, on the freeway so long, I don't know if it's morning or evening, you know. Just don't know. I'm kind of turned upside down right now. Um, yeah, this evening, I wanted to read the entire prayer along with you. So would you guys stand with me um, as we borrow from um, Ezra standing before the Lord as we read his word together? We're going to read, I'm going to read and ask you to follow along verses 14 through 21 out of Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. 
Amen. Shall we pray? And Lord God, that, that really is our prayer tonight. Lord, that these things would be granted to us. And Lord, we desire that you would be honored, that you would be glorified in this place. Truly, in the church today, in this generation, might you be glorified and continue to be glorified forever and ever. And so, Lord, have your way in our hearts now. Pour your spirit out upon us. Might he open the eyes of our hearts to give us understanding and discernment and wisdom, knowing how to apply these truths to our own lives. Again, that you might be glorified in and through us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. I want to give a little bit of background before we get into the essence of these two verses, verses 20 and 21 this evening. The background being a little bit about this particular letter and where we are in this letter. As we as we read this uh, closing prayer, the closing prayer of the third chapter, and actually the closing prayer of the first section of this epistle. Uh, this first section being the part of the letter in which the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Ephesian church, is sharing with them all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for them. All the blessings that they have. In, in, in chapter 1, verse 3, we see that Paul writes that, that God already has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The blessings already have been given. It is up to us, basically, to walk in those blessings. Uh, we, whenever we pray for God's blessings, I mean, we've got to remember that every spiritual blessing already has been bestowed upon us. They, they, they truly have. It's just the, the, the need for us to experience those, those blessings through our relationship with Jesus in the way that we commit our hearts to him, to follow him, and to obey him, to, to walk with him, to treat him as our God, as our Lord. As we have this understanding of who we are in him and have this understanding of, of his place in our lives, you know, this idea that, you know, he's God and I'm not. He's my creator. I'm the one that he created. He is Lord. He is my master. I am his servant, his slave. He's my father. I'm his child. And in understanding my place before him and treating him that way. You know, it's, it's one way to call the Lord our Lord. It's one thing to say of the Lord that he is my Lord Jesus. It's another thing actually to treat him that way and to give him that place in our lives. Amen. And something that we've got to do, we've got to give him that place. He won't take it. He has that place. He, he deserves that place. He is God. He has done so much for us. We have experienced every spiritual blessing in him. In these first three chapters, we find out where it is that we actually stand in Christ, who we are in Christ, what we have in Christ, what is before us in Christ. That, that phrase, in Christ, or in Him, or in Jesus, in the Lord, 
takes place so many times in these first three chapters. But as we understand that, we must rule our lives in such a way. We must make a decision that our lives will be ruled with that understanding of what our relationship is with him and who he is to us and bow before him, submit to him as God and follow him, knowing, of course, who he is, knowing his nature, knowing his goodness, knowing his love for us and his compassion toward us, knowing his grace and mercy that he desires to pour out upon us. And those things are are spelled out for us in these first three chapters. And then we see the Apostle Paul praying, praying four basic requests, if you will. And we find them in verses 16 through 19. One clue on how to find what those requests are is, well, let's look for the word that. We see that Paul is praying. He bows his knees to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So the first request is that we might receive strength inwardly. The second request in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So that that Christ would actually dwell in our hearts, that he would be at home there. That we would provide for him in our hearts a place of comfort for him. A place that he'll feel comfortable, that he'll enjoy being there. And of course, we get the idea of what that means. You know, every every room in the house being cleaned up. You know, there, there's a, a, li- a little booklet entitled My Heart, Christ's Home. Some of you may know of that. How many of you have read that little booklet, My Heart, Christ's Home? I, I would encourage you guys to grab that. Uh, I, I'm not sure if you've got them here at the bookstore here at the church. I would imagine there, be, there may be some. And uh, prayerfully, there will be a run on that book because <laughs> it's really a, a, a great book because it gives insight into what it means to have our hearts in the kind of condition that Jesus actually feels perfectly at home there. You get the idea of what that means. The third request is begins there in verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that's not a request, but that's a state of being, as we are rooted and grounded in love, that we may be able to comprehend With all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge? So basically, the third request, understanding and a comprehension of the reality of Jesus's love for us. This love that passes knowledge. It's interesting that Paul prays that we would know something that is past knowing. Have you ever thought about that when you read this? He's praying that we would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. You can't know it, but he prays that we will. Interesting. The depth of it is so great that we can't find it all out. We can't experience it all. We we can't understand the, the immensity of it. And yet the prayer is that we would know it. 
And then the fourth request, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Soak that in for a moment. The fullness of all that God is. In all of His majesty and greatness and His power. The one who created the heavens and the earth. The one for whom nothing is impossible. The one who is filled with love and mercy and grace and kindness toward us. The one who is righteous and holy in every way. We sang about his holiness earlier this evening, didn't we? One of the questions to us is very simply this. Do we really believe, do we acknowledge the reality of his holiness? Do we believe that he is set apart from all in every single way? In his love, he is holy, set apart from us. In his mercy, he is holy. In his righteousness, he is holy. In his justice, he is holy. In his grace, he is holy. In every attribute we can give to him, every characteristic, every trait, he is holy. And in all his fullness, it is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians that they, that they themselves would be filled with all of that fullness of God. That's amazing. It's amazing. I, I do want to point out something to you, something that perhaps you have heard before. If you have, repetition is good. Whenever we see a prayer in the Bible, whenever we see a prayer on behalf of and for a group of people like this one, the Apostle Paul, of course, when he wrote this letter, was led by God to pray for these people. And we understand that this was this man, the Apostle Paul, in his heart of love for these particular people, at the church at Ephesus that he founded, that he wanted to pray for this group of people, these things, after presenting them with these truths in this letter to this point. He wanted to pray that they would understand it, that they would grasp it, that they would receive it, that Christ would dwell in them, that they would gain inner strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. That they would know the love of Christ that even passes knowledge, yet know it. That the fullness of God would, be with, would, would dwell within them as well. That they would be filled with all the fullness of God. And get all of these things. He, he prayed that prayer. But every time we see a prayer like this, we understand that well, Paul's purpose is for that group of people. God's purpose as the Holy Spirit inspired him to pray this prayer, to write this prayer in this letter, intending at that point, I think, I think the Apostle Paul would be blown away to understand how much of the New Testament was written by him. He was just writing letters. Letters of encouragement and letters of instruction and, and, and letters of grace and, and these letters to these people that he loved and cared for so much. But... God inspired him to write it, and in him, in him inspiring him to write it, he was also purposing to, to preserve it 
to have it together in the word of God, the, the new covenant, the new testament for us today, that we might read it understanding that not only was God having Paul pray this prayer for the Ephesians, but it is also God's heart for us here in Pasadena, California in 2017. This is what God wants for you. I want you to understand this. This is what God wants for you. It's a prayer for, from His heart. And we know that Jesus, even now, is at the right hand of the Father where he daily does what? Makes intercession for us. You think maybe this is one of the prayers he prays for us? I absolutely believe that. This is the kind of prayer that we should be praying for each other. This is the kind of prayer that I pray for my wife and my children. I have read this prayer to youth groups going off to a retreat. And it's a kind of prayer that for those that we love, we want them to experience this. We want God to do this in their lives. We want them to know these things. We want them to know the fullness of God within them. And so, an incredible prayer from the heart of God for all who are His not just for the Ephesian church. But he closes this prayer. And you know, honestly, because verses 20 and 21 are not prayer requests, are not petitions that are made, these verses really are a doxology of sorts. It's a praise unto the Lord. That's really what it is. Is it the close of the prayer? Or is it the close of this section of the letter? Or does it even matter? I don't think it really matters. But we see this doxology. Now to Him. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to look at this, these last two verses. But I want to begin by looking at verse 21 first. Looking at really the doxological part I'm not even sure if that's a word, but it sounds good to me. This, this part of the praise. Now to him. Now to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. As we look at this portion of the prayer, this, this praise to God, it's a very fitting place for this offering of praise to God based upon the fact that Paul had just written what he had written and he had just prayed what he had prayed. And, and obviously, with such incredible truths written for the Ephesian church, 
understanding all that they have, all that God has done, all the blessings that they've received, the place where they stand, who they are in the Lord Jesus, all these things. It's a fitting place for this praise because we need to praise God at a time like this. Because if we are going to understand all these incredible truths that only the Holy Spirit can help us to know and understand, the natural mind does not conceive of the things of God, right? And so we need a spiritual mind. We need God's Spirit to speak to us, to open our hearts, to enlighten our, our hearts, to show us God's truth. And so we pray that He'll do that. But God also is able to open our hearts. He is able to make us understand. He is able to help us to grasp. He is able that we might have the kind of understanding that would uh, cause us to live lives of health, spiritual health, and fruitfulness for Him. And to know these things. But to Him be glory. To Him be glory. We understand, of course, that the Bible states not in just a single place, but in many places, that God is to be glorified in Him alone. In Isaiah 42.8, we see that, that God speaks through the prophet, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. There was a time in, in, in the book of Exodus when, when Moses... In the 33rd chapter, he sought that he might see the glory of God. In verses 18 and 19, in Exodus 33, he said to the Lord, Please show me your glory. And then the Lord told him, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Then later in chapter 34, in verses 6 and 7, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Okay, notice that in that passage we see that God said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Show me your glory. I'll proclaim my name before you. The proclamation of who he is is the revelation of his glory. You see that? So as he speaks of who he is, I will make my... Excuse me. The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy. Mercy mentioned for the second time here. That's significant. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And then verse 10. And he said, God said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. I would like to submit something to you based on those words. As God declares his glory, as he proclaims his name, 
and all of His goodness and mercy and kindness and grace, in His righteousness, in His justice, as He proclaims His name, He wants to do that through you and me. Are you guys convinced of that? He wants to do it through you and through me, through his children, through his people. And he says that all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. All the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. Question for us, are all the people among whom I am seeing the work of the Lord? Seeing people who are weak made strong, people who are foolish made wise, people who are evil made good, the work of God in the lives of His people and the transforming power of God's Spirit through the Word of God, is that what is happening in our lives? Are we convincing our family members who when we first started getting involved with Calvary Chapel thought that what kind of a cult are you involved in? You're going to church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, then Thursday night, then you go to concerts, you're involved in serving, you give money to the church. Why do you do that? You know all they want to do is just take your money so they can become rich. You know that's what's going on. What kind of cult are you involved with anyway? Anybody ever heard that from from loved ones, you know? I'm not sure how long you've known the Lord. But over that time, especially if it's a prolonged period of time, Have they been convinced because they have seen the work of the Lord in you that there must be something real about this Jesus whom you say you love? I pray so. It's God's purpose. Even as he in the context of a passage in which he reveals his glory, he says this among that that all the people among whom you are shall see the work of. Of the Lord. Incredible. Incredible. Is God's glory being revealed in you and in me? Jeremiah 9 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Now, in the world, we do that. People of the world. Do that. People of Christ can do that, allowing the ways of the world and the values of the world to penetrate us and move us. Yet, God says this, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. Might our glory be in nothing else than this, 
that God in his love for you and me has taken the time to make a special effort to reveal himself to us by his spirit and by his spirit giving us the word of God and by his spirit giving us the understanding of the word of God, understanding of the truths of God, understanding of the person of God, who he is, not just simply knowing things about him, that's a part of it, but coming to a place of actually having an experiential knowledge. In other words, a relationship with God. Incredible. Glory in the fact that God has brought you to know him and to understand him. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Incredible. Incredible. The Lord is to receive all glory. Now to verse 20. Now to him. That's the beginning of the praise. But then God begins to describe him. To to define him in some ways. Obviously not fully. This isn't a complete uh, work of theology in the study of God. But it is a brief statement that if we can grab hold of this people, it will revolutionize our walk with Jesus. And if you have grabbed hold of it, you will attest to the fact that when you did grab hold of it, it revolutionized your walk with Jesus. To understand that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Not just simply above. Exceedingly above. Excuse me. Abundantly above. And not just abundantly above. Exceedingly abundantly above. All that we ask Him. All that we ask or even think. Those things that we dared to think that God might do in our lives and in the lives of people around us. We dared think it, but we dared not speak it because we thought it was just too far out there, too much. But He is able to do anything. Are you guys convinced of that? I saw a couple of you shaking your head and a few voices. I'm going to ask that question again. But you know what? Don't answer yes unless you really believe it. Do you believe that God can do anything? There's nothing that's too hard for him. Nothing. And if God can put it in your heart to ask for it, he certainly can bring it about. He certainly can make it happen. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And I mean that last phrase, according to the power that works in us, that's crazy. 
What is this power that works in us? Well, we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But God is able. God is able. In the NASB um, translation, New American Standard Bible, it reads this way, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond. I like the word beyond more than above. It gives, it gives me a, a sense of, I don't know, it just uh, more greatness, f- further out there, more. I mean, beyond your wildest imaginations, right? Beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. The, the New Living Translation, um, which is not an actual word for word, but it helps give us some understanding. I like the way it's worded. It says, Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask Or think. I like that. That's what God is able to do. And again, we need to ask ourselves, do I really believe it? God is able, he says. And and I think that this may be the most important words. These may be the most important words right here in this 20th verse in the entire first three chapters. Because without God's ability to do all that has already been talked about, It's meaningless. I could tell you that I could dribble a basketball and and leave from the foul line and dunk it. I could say that. You know I'm lying. Michael Jordan can say that. And a lot of you say, I saw him do that. He was able. I'm not. But God is able. He is able to do these things. So when he says these things that he wants to do for us, the blessings that he has for us, the who we are in Christ, where we stand in him, he says all these things. And now he declares his own ability to fulfill those things that he already has spoken. That means something. And God has proven himself time and time and time again. And I suppose the most important thing that he ever talked about that he was going to do was to bring a Savior. To give his Son. Manifest in the flesh. Born to a virgin. Who would minister and do miracles that were beyond anything seen in Israel or in in the world ever before or since. Causing the blind to see and the, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the mute to speak. Casting demons because of his authority over them out of people. Speaking to the seas and calming them just with a word, peace, be still, and whoosh, nothing. His authority over all of creation was demonstrated. And then he took your sins and mine upon himself and died on that cross, having promised that he would rise on the third day. And he did. There have been others who claimed that they would rise from the dead. They died. 
and remained that way. Only Jesus fulfilled the promise. This word able, you may be familiar with this, perhaps not, but it is a Greek word dunamai, which is of the same root of the word power. Ability, power basically speaks of ability. And we see when we speak of God's power, it speaks of his ability. And this word uh, dunamai or dunamis in, in, in the, uh, the, the noun form, it's a word from which we get the word in English dynamite because of the power of it. Power. He is able. That's, that's the word able. And, and we find here in this phrase two different modifiers for it. In other words, two different ways that the word is more clearly defined for us. One, he is able beyond everything. And that word everything is all-encompassing, includes all things. He is able beyond anything we can imagine. And he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we ask or conceive or what we ask or think. He is able. The word to do, we can make a real to-do out of this. I'm sorry, I just had to say that. The word to do, a verb form, is the word poieo. That might make you think of the Greek word poema, which we find in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Are you familiar with that? Turn to Ephesians 2.10. Poema. After this passage in which Paul declares the means of salvation, we are saved by grace through faith. Then in verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, poema. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. His workmanship. Workmanship is the noun form of the verb to do. So we being his workmanship, it's like we are the product of his work. We, and and that's, the, that's the word poema, the product. But the essence of doing the work, the work being done by God, that is poeo. And that's the word that is here in chapter 3, verse 20. He is able to do. He's able to work. He's able to make. It can be translated as make. It's involved in the word creation, the idea of creation, create, that's make, to do. That, that's all these things are, are a part of that. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above or beyond. Paul is fully aware of the greatness of the blessings that he's asking for in the prayer. And so in this doxology, as I refer to it, in the doxology, he ascribes to God the power 
to actually do them for us. But God is able. Jeremiah 32, 17 says, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Jeremiah 32, 27, later in that same chapter. Behold, I am the Lord, he says, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? This word able, we find the same in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 and 18. You know the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When they refused to bow before the idol that Nebuchadnezzar had made, and they called, and then he called them into his office and basically said, "Listen, boys, I'm going to give you another chance." Basically, what he told them, and they said this to him: "Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, and, and if that is the case, what is the case? If we are going to be thrown into this fiery furnace." for failing to bow down to the image that you've made. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. This is after the king had said, who is going to deliver you from my hand? Our God will deliver you. Deliver us from your hand. He's able. And then they went on to say, but even if he doesn't, we are not going to serve your gods. We are not going to bow down to the, to the images that, that you have set up. And if we, if we die, we die, basically. We know what happened. They heated up the furnace seven times its normal heat. As the door was opened, the soldiers who threw them in, they themselves were burned to death. The other three went in, and there was a little window in the furnace. I guess, I guess Nebuchadnezzar liked to see people burn. And uh, somebody saw a fourth image in there, a fourth person. And according to Veggie Tales, he's really shiny. <laughs> Don't you love that? I think VeggieTales is more for adults than kids, to be honest with you. Really shiny. And it was the Lord Jesus walking with them. They brought them out. They were not burned. They were not singed. There was no hair that was burned. They had no smell of smoke or fire on them. Yes, God is able. The God who did that is able to rescue you and me. To rescue us from the afflictions that we go through. Doesn't mean he keeps us from entering into them. But he's with us through them. Even as the prophet Isaiah had written some. Oh probably. A hundred. hundred fifty years before this event. With Daniel. Or in Daniel with. With his three friends. You will be with me in the flood and the fire. And he is. And he's able. He's able to get us through it. 
we see that Abraham, when he was commanded by God to take his son Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah, a three-day journey from that point from which he left, which is significant. Romans 4.21 tells us that he went ahead with it, being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. What was the promise? That my seed will come through your, your son Isaac. Now, a lot of us would think, well, how's that going to happen if I kill him? Now, one thing Abraham knew is that God had spoken. And he understood what God had said. Offer your son Isaac, your one and only son. No coincidence in the wording there. And so he took him. But we see that he was fully convinced that God would keep the promise. In Hebrews 11, verses 17 to 19, the Holy Spirit enlightens us. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, it was a test. And we know that God never intended that Isaac should be killed by his father. But it was a test. Remember when he drew that, that knife back and is about to thrust it into his son's chest, God stopped him. Stopped him. Now I know that you love me. And I think God knew that anyway, but now Abraham knew that he did. But it was a test. He offered up, the, the text goes on in Hebrews 11. He offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham didn't even consider the fact that God might stop him. He just figured, if I offer him as a sacrifice, he'll raise him from the dead so that the promise will be fulfilled. He believed God. And it was accounted to him as righteousness. Amazing, amazing. But God is able. With God, all things are possible, Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26. Same thing in Mark 10, 27. With God, all things are possible. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Second Chronicles 25.9, Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. You need some financial help. The Lord is able to provide for you. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is able. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? For the eyes of the Lord, Second Chronicles 16.9, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show himself strong, to show his strength on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I wonder tonight if we are not seeing 
this kind of power from God in our lives because of a lack of loyalty to Him. Double-mindedness, perhaps. One foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. Not completely loyal, as we see that Abraham was. I wonder. I think it's something for each one of us to take to the Lord tonight, maybe now. Seek Him on that. For some of us here, I'm certain that God has already been speaking to you about it. Receive that. God shows His strength. He wants to show His strength on behalf of those who are loyal. Do we have a loyal heart toward God? A couple of ways for us to look at this, this incredible promise. I mean, this, this idea of God's ability. I mean, He can do anything. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above this triple superlative, which is... Which is and incredibly powerful. Again, not just simply above all, but abundantly above all and exceedingly abundantly above all. Paul is giving a message that, that, that this is just an incredible ability that God has to do what he's promised to do. He's able to answer our prayers regardless of what we ask. Now, I have to say this. It must be according to his will. So when you pray, pray something that you know that God would want to do. The salvation of a loved one, for example. You know God wants to save them. He desires that all come to repentance. All. That's His desire. And the word desire is the same word that we read in other places as will. It is, that, that's his will. Desire is a part of what God's will is all about. It's his desire. The salvation of a community. You're driving down the street and you see a, a, a family. Or you go into a store, you see a family. And for some reason, that family strikes you and and the Lord prompts you to pray. And I don't know what God wants to do with that, but whatever it is that God lays on your heart to pray for, He's able to do. Get them on their feet, get them into a house, get them saved, all of the above. There's nothing too hard for Him, right? I'll ask you guys again. There's nothing too hard for Him, right? Yeah, I mean, we can have a little interaction here. It's good. It's okay. There's nothing too hard for him. And so he's able to keep his promises as Abraham learned. He is able to do all. He is able to do above all. He is able to do Abundantly above all. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all. And He is able to work in your 
life. A young man by the name of Joshua was being given the reins, the leadership over Israel to take them into the promised land. One who loved Moses, he honored Moses, he he worked alongside of him, he was loyal to Moses, He, he didn't feel like he qualified to fill Moses' shoes. And as we read Joshua chapter 1, we see in three different places in the first nine verses that God tells him, be strong and of good courage. Be strong. I'm the one who's telling you, be strong, for I am with you. See, that's the key, for God is with us. The reason we can have courage in our walk with Jesus, to be able to do things, to be able to even behave in such a way. We may have a sin issue, but we can overcome it in the power of Christ. Do you believe that? Let me ask you again. Do you believe that? We need more participation here, guys. I mean, we need to believe that He can do what He's promised to do, that we can walk in the way that He He has instructed us to walk to bring honor and glory to Him because we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us to do those things that He's instructing us to do. We can live changed lives because it is God working in us. Look at this phrase here in this 20th verse, according to the power that works in us. It's the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of creation, the power of resurrection. Let's not ever say, I can't. Again. When it comes to something that we know God is asking us to do. I can't say I can't. I just said I can't, didn't I? But I can't say that. Not as a Christian. Not as a person. Not as a man who has the power of God's Spirit within me. I am filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus has taken residence in me. He's dwelling in my heart. He's given me understanding of His incredible love for me. All these things have been taken place. I can't say I can't if he tells me to go here and witness to that person or go there and minister to this person or go, go over here and, and even as perhaps as a missionary, go to this village in Mexico or this village in Africa or fill in the blank. We cannot say I can't. We might be able to say, Lord, I don't understand how you're going to do this, but I'm willing. But see, it's up to him to do it, Right. I can't, but he can. He's in me, so now I can. Right? That's how we have to look at this, guys. That's how we have to look at this. And guys, I don't know. I mean, maybe you have a prayer that you've stopped praying because you have not seen any results yet. Don't give up. Please do not give up. I believe I did share with you last time I was here. But just real quickly, I have a daughter who was 
basically backsliding, a terrible backslide for about 12 or 13 years. My wife Jeanette and I were praying for and praying for and praying for. And in quite, in really a miraculous fashion, he brought her back to himself. Brought her back. Twelve or thirteen years of prayer. I have known women who have come to the Lord praying for 25 years for their husband to come to Christ, and he finally did. 30 years to come to Christ, he finally did. We cannot give up praying because the God to whom we pray is able to do anything. He's able to do far beyond what we ask. My daughter had gone through a divorce. She was mad at God. She was living in the world. Uh, It it affected our, our grandchildren. She was seeing a guy who was not a believer. We were praying that guy out of her life. What God did, he miraculously saved him, even as he was about to be demon-possessed. True story. He cried out to Jesus, because my daughter told him, even though she she never said, I'm walking with the Lord, but she said, I know one thing, the Bible says Jesus is your only hope. Cry out to Jesus if you need help. He cried out to Jesus. That demon was gone. He bowed his knee. It touches me. Bowed his knee to Jesus. Amen. And within, within a week, she was back with Jesus. They got married. And now she is happily married to a man who loves Jesus and desires to follow him. Isn't that incredible? God is able. Don't stop asking. In fact, I believe this passage says, ask for more. Because God is able. And Father, help us to do so. Help us to trust you. And through your work, God, might you be glorified might truly to you be glory in the church, in this church, by Christ Jesus, in this generation, and even forever and ever. Amen. Have your way, God, we pray. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Boy, the exhortation of Scripture is so practical to us, you know. And tonight, as it is not the will of the Lord that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you're here and you have never made a commitment to give your life to Christ, we want to give you that opportunity before you leave here this evening to surrender your heart into his hands and pray and ask for his grace and his forgiveness upon your life. And I'd like to lead you in prayer right now. If you don't know, if you don't know Jesus and you, the Lord has spoken to your heart, through this message that uh, Pastor Randy brought this evening. Pray after me. Ask the Lord to forgive you for your sins. And the Lord will show up in a beautiful way. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. I believe that Christ died for my sins upon the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit 
And Lord, give me a new life in Jesus Christ. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.